Hey everyone, my name is Antonia Mandulia and you're listening to That Hockey Chick. Welcome back to another episode of That Hockey Chick. Yes, as the title of the episode indicates, it is a very crucial time in Leafland right now. Possibly a time that no one thought would come for the Leafs this season, especially the way they were playing at the beginning of the season before their previous slump. But before I get into that, there are a couple things I wanted to cover going around the NHL in general. First thing, that it was pretty cool. Zabena Jad of the New York Rangers tied the NHL tied an NHL record. The Rangers blew past the Flyers the other day, nine to nothing, and they had a seven goal second period that must have been a crazy game to watch zibanejad had six points he had a natural hat trick and three assists in just the second period so the nhl record that he tied joined new york islanders alum brian trottier as the only players to score six points in one period of an nhl game and the last time that it was done by brian trottier was in 1978 so i thought that was a pretty cool tying of an NHL record that I wanted to highlight for you all. The second thing, Buffalo Sabres talked about them last week. They're still suffering. Most recent move they've made is they fired their head coach. This comes at a point where they have 16 points, 6 wins, and 23 losses. I believe 4 of those are overtime losses. Currently, they're on a 13-game losing streak. That is pretty hefty losing streak. I... I don't even know what I would do if I was a Sabres fan. Like, I feel like, I don't know, that's tough. That's really, really tough, especially after getting Taylor Hall and and having Jack Eichel, like, seeing the team go through that. It's It, it must be confusing for fans to see them have that talent and still have these kinds of troubles. I mean, it's a crucial point for the team, the Sabres, right now because at this point, I think they know they're not going to make the playoffs. So from this point forward... It's going to say a lot about what kind of team they are. And why I say that is, I mean, you look at the Senators who are doing, they're doing better than the Sabres, but they're kind of in a similar boat just for the sake of comparison. And the Senators still have so much energy and so much, like, they have the will to play. You can tell, you know, when they get on the ice, they're happy. They want to be there. Not Not that they don't care where they are in the standings. Obviously, they would prefer to be in the top half of the standings rather than the bottom but they understand you know they're going through a rebuild there's this it's a hard period of time for an organization to go through but the players that they have and it helps that they have a lot of young guys on the team to keep them high spirited but that's the type of team that you want where even though like I said they know they're going through a rebuild and will most likely miss the playoffs for a few seasons in a row maybe not just this season They know they still have to go out there every game and try to pull together wins and work together to start making the rebuild pay off. You can't just sit there and expect the rebuild to start happening and start and start working if you're just going to sit there and and not do anything, right? Then you have the Sabres and it's the total opposite and no one wants to be there. No one seems to be trying to get the team going or doing anything to help the situation. And in this case, I mean, I'd have to say that the coach firing was something that was expected maybe it should have come earlier along their 13 game losing streak there's an argument there but it was due it was it was going to happen eventually again like I said last week you can expect that whole organization to just blow up after the season if more moves aren't made before the end of this season definitely in the off season the organization is going to blow up start from complete scratch all the way from players from players to management expect a different team next season I will have to say that. Moving on, North Division controversy once again. I want to talk about this again because it really makes me angry whenever something new comes up and there were two new things that were brought to my attention after this past week. One, McDavid reached 60 points. That's amazing. That's great. He reached 60 points, of course. That's huge. Everyone's saying how amazing that is and rightfully so. It's great. But where is that little uh, asterisk saying that it's the North Division that was once too easy, but now it's considered groundbreaking because McDavid reaches 60 points. You know, when when Matthews was on that um, was on that scoring streak and he reached 20 goals well before anyone else did, you know, I mean, Leafs fans are making a big deal about it, of course, 
but you know people weren't saying oh like look at matthews look at matthews even marner just reached 40 points no one's saying anything about that i feel it's it's very one-sided no big deal is made about our players and they're saying that our players are just able to do it because the division's easy but then someone like mcdavid goes along and does something similar and he's praised as being the greatest player in the nhl so excuse me if i am a little hesitant to go and congratulate mcdavid especially in a season where the Leafs have received so much crap for finally actually being a good team and earning points and doing great and even reaching individual milestones with the players and they still receive receive crap and they say it's just because it's easy but then McDavid goes and suddenly the division is an amazing division so excuse me if I'm a little confused and then now everyone's saying that <laughs> everyone's saying that the North Division is heating up and it's becoming more challenging you know, in, in the intermissions of all the of all the Leafs games, that's all the, the people talk about is that it's heating up. And they're saying that because the, the gap finally closed and the Leafs don't have that cushion anymore and the teams are close in standings. So now it's a challenging division. But before, the Leafs were on top and instead of saying, you know, it's a challenging division and look where the Leafs are, that's great. They're, they must be really, really good. And instead of saying that, they, look at, they looked at it and they said, it's just because it's an easier division. And now stories have flipped. Very interesting. So, I'm so done with all these claims going back and forth. But, coming up next, now that I've let that rant out there, coming up next, I will be recapping the week. It was actually a pretty eventful week, despite the fact that there were only three games. There was the game on Sunday, and then they had the huge break until Friday and Saturday. It was a pretty eventful week, though. So, I will be getting to that coming up next. Stay tuned. <laughs> All right, this week was pretty crazy for Leafs fans. Highs and lows again. Every week has been an emotional roller coaster for the past few weeks, and I kind of hate it, but at the same time, I kind of love it. So, the biggest thing that happened was Jimmy VC was claimed off of waivers by Vancouver Canucks, which set off a whole series of events that lasted the rest of the week. So, a couple things I want to say. First, why was this done to Jimmy VC? A couple possible reasons. One, because they need the cap space, especially if Dubas is planning to make a trade sometime soon for someone who might cost a little bit more. He definitely needs to make room and is actually still in the process of making room because Travis Boyd was also put on waivers on Sunday yesterday. And they currently have absolutely no cap space available, so he definitely is going to have to do some maneuvering in the next few days or weeks, depending on when and if a trade will be made. Also, because Campbell and Simmons came off of the long-term injured reserve, so obviously the cap space that was once off onto the injured reserve is now back on the roster. Another reason why in particular it was VC was because the other guys on the team that they had been moving at the beginning of the season back and forth from the taxi squad and the Marlies, and they had put a few guys on waivers earlier in the season... Uh, they had already done that too many times. There's a that 10-game period that uh, those guys went through, so they couldn't put those guys on waivers again or, or anything like that. So VC was the only one, really, plus Boyd, like I just mentioned. And again, it's also because of just the competition. There was a really tough competition for that final spot or two, and we know that Engvall and Mikhaev claimed those spots. Same with Kerfoot. Pretty much undeniably, they claimed those spots. And it was VC and Boyd that were on the hook. They did great. Uh, VC was just starting to come into his role, I think, especially the after the last couple weeks. So he was starting to come into his role, but at this point, the Leafs couldn't really take any chances. They they already know that Engvall and Mikhaev and Kerfoot had started to fit into their role well before VC had started to, and there was there's just not enough time to allow a guy to go through another couple weeks to see if he's going to improve anymore and, you know, not having that guarantee. So that's why he was the one to go. Next thing I want to look at is what did it cause? So Scott Sabrin and Joseph Wall went back to the Marlies because realistically VC spot could not be filled by anyone that was on the taxi squad including Sabrin who is he's fourth line material but I mean we've never we haven't seen him yet on the lineup and he has not really proved himself on previous teams that he's been on and you know there could be other things behind closed doors that we don't really know maybe he wasn't really fitting into the playing style or he was having a hard time fitting in 
So it could be a lot of things built in there why Sabrin could not fill VC's spot. And he's not really the long-term dependable guy. He's more like a throw-in. If there's injuries, if need be, they'll throw him in. But we know that the person who did end up filling VC's spot on a different line in the roster. But regardless, Alex Galchenyuk finally made his debut and filled VC's spot. I will be expanding on that later, but moral of the story, I was completely off and completely wrong based on what I said last week, but I'll be expanding on that later. And then Joseph Wall, he was sent down because, of course, Campbell came back. So we have Anderson, Campbell, and then Hutch as our third on the taxi squad. Next thing I want to look at is what do I think about this? I liked VC, and like I said, especially as of late, he was starting to find his way with the team, but when it comes down to it though, out of all the guys that we had, it was going to be either him or Boyd, and by the looks of it, it might even be both if Boyd gets picked up. And again, because Engvall, Mikhaev, and Kerfoot, they all solidified their spot a long time ago. And maybe in Vancouver, kind of a rebuilding and growing team, young team, he'll be able to to find a more dominant place, a uh, more dominant presence there than he did on our fourth line, pretty much. Other big news, kind of already mentioned it, so it kind of spoiled it, but Simmons came back, Campbell came back, and we do have goalie controversy once again, which we visited once before already this season. Now, I also wanted to address the slump, I say in quotations, if you want to call it slump, some people might not want to, that the Leafs appear to be going through and... I honestly think there are sunny days ahead for the Leafs and for Leafs fans moving forward. I do not think there is much to worry about. I'll go into it in more depth a little bit later with the takeaways, but essentially, does it suck? Yeah, absolutely. Especially when we were doing so well and you know we had a nice cushion in the standings, which is now completely gone and we're tied with the Oilers. It was, although we do have a few games in hand, uh, but it was hard to watch them drop six and seven games that was extremely hard to watch and especially when some of those games were against teams like the Canucks and the Sens where you kind of imagined especially it was we played the Canucks after coming off of the Oilers road trip and uh we uh, it's safe to say that Leafs fans expected them to roll and maybe even the Leafs themselves expected to roll into the rest of that week and into the Vancouver series kind of building off of the the power that they had with the Oilers which did not happen with either the Canucks or the Sens, and so that sucked to see that. I mean, those those games, we were expecting it to be the opposite. I'm pretty sure I mentioned that last week. However, this should have been expected. This kind of slump that, or the rut that they're in, it should have been expected that this was going to happen, or at least something like it. I mean, maybe not to this degree. Maybe we didn't think they were going to drop six and seven games, but something like it was bound to happen. You know, every Stanley Cup winning team in every season, you go back and look, they have at least one month or a few weeks that they wish they could redo. And I was looking at Tampa Bay, for example, and I believe it was the last couple weeks in February uh, where they had they had a slump. They lost a few games, dropped a few games, and it, it happens to every team, and it's something that you just have to accept, and it's in the response of the team that you see what kind of team they actually are. Coming off of a, of a slump like this, seeing how the Leafs respond is really going to tell us what kind of team they are. Are they going to pick up and are they going to say, guys, we need to get like get our asses in shape and we need to figure this stuff out? Are they going to say that? Are they going to do that? It looks like they are starting to after the Calgary series. Or are they going to respond and essentially just become totally deflated and become a team that we no longer recognize? So that response that we get from them is going to, it's going to say a lot. So we're going to have to just wait and see. There was also the Dubas press conference that came along this week that I will be talking about in depth later on with a guest. And there's also only three, there was also only three games this past week. So we are going to get right into it. Coming up next, I will be recapping the first game against the Senators last Sunday. Stay tuned. All right, so with this first game, considering it happened like over a week ago, I won't spend too much time on it. We lost 4-3 against the Sens. Almost came back so close to coming back in those last few minutes. And I know that that's not something you want to hear someone say when the Leafs play against a team like the Sens. Like, oh, they almost came back and they almost won. It should be like the exact opposite. Like the Sens were nowhere near coming 
close to catching up to us in the game kind of thing. But we do all know that this is how it normally goes for some reason against this team. That is That will remain a huge mystery to me forever. Anyway, so Hutchinson was in this game. He fell asleep for a couple seconds in the first and Ottawa scored two goals within seconds of each other, which is where we saw the goalie change happen like right away. And Anderson came in. This was obviously Keith's attempt to simulate something and wake them up. It didn't really end up doing anything. I mean, in games like this, the Leafs always wait till the last five minutes to start putting pressure on and they always either fall short by a goal like tonight or they manage to fully come through with a win in overtime. It's one or the other. There's like no in between. So this was one of those games where they waited until the last five minutes to start playing and start putting on pressure which sucked. So anyway, both of those first two goals were Hutchinson's fault. They were relatively easy shots and I know that he definitely wanted those back. Another thing I talked about a lot last week was the odd man rushes and those showed themselves again in this game. Our D were not doing a good job protecting against the odd man rushes. In general, our D were not they were not having a good game. They were not making hits. They were leaving guys wide open. They just looked confused and uncomfortable and unsure about everything they did. Then when it became 4-1, so all four goals came off of defensive collapses. RD was like super lazy this game, like I just finished saying. And it was really puzzling to watch, especially after all the progress that we had made to improve RD over the last couple weeks. Our defense has become so much stronger, so much more structured. And that's why it was just so confusing. And... Yeah, I don't even know how to explain it. It was just so confusing to see. But also, these next two goals that were scored were the same as the first two. They literally came within seconds of each other again. So, complete collapses. There were also a lot of giveaways this game. Absolutely nothing was working. No passes were connecting. The shots towards the net were very poor. Very poor puck clearing out of our zone. And honestly, at this point, lines were just being jumbled all over the place. Keith was trying to do whatever he possibly could to somehow make something happen and Hyman did score too he had a very good night despite everything I mean he can do no wrong and like I said uh we started playing too late fell one goal short after this game though I was I was thinking about something that Matthews and Nylander should be tried together and then Marner and Tavares should be tried together why did I think of this because Matthews still did not seem like he wanted to shoot because of his wrist so it would make sense to put him with Nylander who we know loves to shoot. Also, Tavares has been trying to shoot more, trying to get some goals. So putting him with Marner, who's known for his passing, would make sense. Essentially, I saw two passers on a line together on the first line, and I saw two shooters together on the second line. Clearly, we know by the end of the week that changed because Matthews, thank goodness, started shooting a lot more and a lot more regularly. And in his regular spot and his regular way, seems like he's starting to get back to normal. Rest is doing him good. I think it's safe to say that because of that rest, and we're also getting a lot more rest this, um, a lot more rest this coming week. It's safe to say that this does not really have to be considered anymore. This option that I that I proposed, and with the return of Simmons, things have changed too. But if it does happen again, where for some reason someone's not shooting or someone's passing more or whatever happens, I would highly suggest try to try and put Matthews and Nylander together and then Tavares and Marner. They have played together briefly before, recently actually, and it it kind of worked. I mean, we didn't really get to see it for a long period of time, but it's definitely an option. I mean, we know that Keefe has an endless amount of options to choose from in terms of how he creates his lines and where people can fit in and where people can work. So not a concern anymore, but just thought I'd share that idea that I had. So moving on, um, the game against the Flames on Friday. So this was after a few days of rest. We lost 4-3 again. Simmons was back this game and Galchenyuk made his debut. Simmons started on the fourth and Galchenyuk was on the second. I kind of understood this. I mean, I was puzzled when I first saw it, but then I thought about it. I kind of understood it because Simmons has been out for a long time and it was his hand that was injured. So you kind of want to be careful with a guy like that, especially since he's a big, he's a relatively big piece to the roster and to the team. So you wanted to ease him back into it and make sure that he was okay with it. And then Galchenyuk was on the second instead of Hyman because 
Hyman was needed to flop between the first and the third line. And we know that Hyman's very versatile. So he is probably one of the only players that is able to do something like that mid-game. Where he's able to just flop constantly between the first and the third line. And he did that with Thornton. Also, Keith knows that Galchenyuk is most likely going to stay on the second. He's, he's, look, he's probably looking at keeping him there. So wanted to get him in there as soon as possible and, and keep him there. Instead of waiting too long, get him in there right now, get him accustomed to it and everything. Whereas with Simmons, it was more just being cautious uh, that he started on the fourth. And Keith knows that regardless of where you put Hyman and Thornton, they're going to do their job. And, and expecting that Keith was going to move up Simmons eventually which he did end up doing by the next game. I knew that Simmons on the fourth wasn't going to be permanent. It was it was just a cautionary a cautionary thing to do for his first game back. And Simmons had been doing amazing before he left. So there was an expectation that he would be brought up somewhere in the top two lines eventually, which he was in the next game. So we did get goals from Spezza, Kerfa, and Marner in this game on Friday. Freddie was a huge he has been a huge concern lately but he was a huge concern in this game he did not look good at all it was arguably his worst game so far at the point in the game when it got to two nothing the the Leafs had on amazing pressure and they got to two one they scored one and they got it to two one and after that goal they were all in the flame zone shift after shift after shift taking lots of shots getting lots of chances and then the flames had a one brush the other way and freddie let in a bad one it's points like that where if he was able to come up with a save the game could have easily become 2-2 instead of 3-1 so we know that freddie freddie has been a concern lately and hopefully he picks it up i also wanted to talk though about specifically about the marner goal he picked the top corner and he did. He got a nice goal. He got a very nice goal. He has to start doing this more though because he tends to always try and deke the goalie and players out and tries to do all of that and be all fancy. And normally it works for him, but recently he's been losing the puck a lot more because of doing things like that. He hasn't been able to handle the puck well. He's been flopping on the ice a lot and he's been losing the puck, hasn't been able to handle it as well. Like I said, normally he's able to, but for some reason, he hasn't been able to recently. So he needs to just go back to being simple and just shooting the puck because he actually has a really nice shot. And it would be good for him to, to get the shot off faster instead of playing with it and eventually losing it. One other thing I noted from uh, this game was that we have become a lot more physical. Hall in particular was stepping up this week a lot physically and he was getting in a lot of scraps and he was making a lot of hits in the defensive zone to get the puck back, especially after a really bad week for him last week. It was a terrible week for him. Him stepping up in this manner was was pretty good and it's really nice to see him sticking up to see him sticking up for himself. Defense overall Overall, this week, it wasn't bad. It was more the goaltending than the defending. One last thing. Towards the end of the game, where we were down by a goal. Matthews was spotted back at the face-off dot, waiting for the pass to get his shot off. I was so relieved to see this. And it looks like the rest for him really paid off. And over the next week, they have a lot more rest. So hopefully, you know, he's, ta- he's going to take that next step and get, and get back to normal. His shot did look a little weak and it does need some touching up after being off of it for a while and not really using it in gameplay, using it in practice, practicing your shot in practice, it's not really anywhere near the same thing. So it is going to take some time for him to get back into that routine and actual gameplay, but it's understandable. He was he was off of it for a while, he had the wrist wrist problems. I don't think it'll take him long to do to do so though because of who he is. He's Austin Matthews, so it shouldn't really take him long to get back to normal, which is a good sign. Lastly, I wanted to recap the game on Saturday against the Flames, where we actually won to nothing. Campbell got his second shutout, second consecutive shutout. Simmons was on the first line. He earned that top spot, and he kept up with Matthews and Marner really, really well. And we know he can do great at the top because he was doing amazing before on the second line, before he was injured. So he he really did earn that spot and I'm glad that Keith recognized that he should be put back up there and resume his play from before he was injured. 
Then we saw Thornton on the 4th with Spezza and Kerfoot. I was really surprised to see both Thornton and Kerfoot. I think sometimes Engvall was there. The last person on that 4th line kept on shifting. But honestly, it worked really well. Thornton and Spezza are are good with one. I didn't think they would be good complements for each other, but they actually are. And for Kerfoot, I didn't expect him there. Especially after the amazing work he's been doing in the lineup on both the second and third line. But, similar to Hyman, it, does not, it doesn't really matter in the, how they are placed in the lineup. Like how high they are in the lineup, whether they're on the first versus fourth line. That doesn't matter. It's more who they're with and where they're going to make the most impact. For Hyman, we know he can pretty much make an impact anywhere. Most notably, I would say though on the third line, which is why he's been there, not on the top line. And then for Kerfoot, again, he can he made a presence on the second line with Tavares and Nylander. He made a presence on the third line. The fourth line, he did well too. He's, again, another versatile player. You can kind of shove him anywhere and he'll, he'll do what Hyman does or similar to Hyman at least. Anyway, this game, the team looked totally different this game. A lot more structure. It was a lot higher paced. The power play though is still pretty concerning to me. That first unit was not able to generate anything, really they had trouble even getting in the zone the second unit did so much better and it's just concerning because it hasn't just been this game the power play has been in trouble for the entire month of march i would say and even with just getting shots even with just entering the zone a lot of trouble and it's not really the best when your second unit that plays a lot less on the power play gets more chances and plays better on the power play than your first unit does that plays for like a minute, a minute 30. So there needs to be some sort of practice, some sort of change. They need to be working at that better. Spezza did have the first goal of the game and it was insane. Top corner, far side, great goal. Again, also with this game, the increased toughness. We saw Simmons and Muzzin hitting around Kachuk, getting at one of their star players. And you could tell it was frustrating Kachuk because I think he took a penalty or two after after being hit around a couple times. I will say though, the team is still having trouble sticking up for their own top players. Last game and this game, we were going at a couple of the Calgary guys, but in the Saturday game, the Flames were all going after Matthews. They were hitting him around. He took a couple, uh, he took quite a few hits actually. And our players didn't really, didn't really do anything. They didn't really take any numbers. They didn't really try to get them back or didn't seem like they were trying to get them back. And it's even more dangerous for Matthews because of his wrist. And there were a couple plays where I was like, God, that's not good. It did not look good. I mean, you don't don't know what's going to set off an injury for him because he's been playing with it. So you don't know how, how bad it is or what it's like. We don't really get updates like that. So it's kind of, it's worrisome when you see things like that. And that's why our players need to be going after these guys that are going after our top players like Matthews. So Hyman, once again, got the second goal, and I have to say, this was my favorite goal of the year so far. Not because of the actual goal, but because of the reaction from the team. It was just so wholesome. First off, Hyman had been trying that wraparound move all game, and it finally went in, and Hyman can just, he can do no wrong. But also, the reaction from the bench was just amazing. Simmons specifically was just so fired up and it just so shows how much of a presence he has and how much the guys were probably missing having him on the bench and in the locker room, especially after that slump that they just went through. He would have been an amazing person to have at a time like that. Matthews was also extremely frustrated towards the end of the game where he uh, broke his stick on the bench. It was after missing a few open nets this game and just recently in general overall his game hasn't been where it can be. It hasn't appeared to be the same and I'm gonna go back to when he first came back from he took a few games off because of his wrist. When he first from when he first came back from that little break, he has not been the same. He scored a couple t- a few times, but he he's been nowhere near the same as what we saw before he left uh, that at that time with with his wrist injury so some things to be worried about worried about Matthews worried about the power play some things to be very happy about goalie savior this game goal goaltending was huge Zachary Hyman Simmons is back Galchenyuk doing great a lot of good things a couple bad things coming up next I am going to be doing an in-depth analysis on the Dubas press conference while 
we take a break from tone with another special guest. Stay tuned. Okay, we are back with another segment of Take a Break from Tone with an, uh, a guest that we have all seen before, back by popular demand, Emilio. Hello. <laughs> so today, like I mentioned, we are going to be recapping the Dubis press conference that he held mid-season availability. I just wanted to go over a few of the things he talked about and get some someone else's opinions for once on what he said. So I'll just, there's a, about five or six things that I just wanted to cover based on what he said. First thing was that it was about Galchenyuk and, you know, he, w- he was asked about him and why they decided to send him to the AHL and not put him on the roster right away. And Dubas was saying that they wanted to make sure that they did right by him and that they did, they did it right with him and made sure that he started from scratch. Do you think they made the right decision, or do you think that, you know, maybe he should have been in the lineup sooner? Uh, I think he should have been in the lineup sooner, because even if they, the players get playing time in the AHL, it's not like it's the same as the NHL. NHL goes at a faster pace, and if the longer they waited, they, the longer it's going to take for the line to get chemistry now, and they'll... They won't know if they need another forward by the time the trade deadline comes up because they'll be less experienced with the line. Yeah, but don't you think that it helped because he hadn't played in the NHL for a a pretty decent amount of time? So even just getting him some hockey experience, even if it wasn't in the NHL, like don't you think that, and especially getting getting him into the Leafs culture and the Leafs system and kind of learning. Because when he was playing on Saturday or even Friday, uh, the, he was he was doing really well with Nylander and Tavares, and he seemed to already know how he's supposed to be playing with them. So I'm almost like jumping at saying him being in the NHL and starting from scratch gave him that ability to jump right in. Whereas if he didn't get that chance, he throwing him right in might have thrown off his his growth and might have thrown off his his play. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> I think the only reason they they put him in now is because of VC. I think if, if VC was able to stay, Galchenyuk probably wouldn't have we probably wouldn't have seen him at all this season. That's what I was saying last week and now I was like totally wrong. But I I don't think we would have seen him at all if VC was not claimed off of waivers. Anyway, so aside from Galchenyuk, one of the more major topics was that Dubis said he was open to a rental player because of the rare year and the cap situation. Basically, he was saying this because normally he doesn't go for rental players, meaning he doesn't like players that are there for a year. He wants long-term players. He wants committed players that he knows are going to stay there for a long amount of time. Do you think that it's worth it to get a rental player who probably won't be with us next season? Or would you rather like to see, if they can, rather see someone who's going to stay longer term? I'd rather the longer term player, but it depends what he's thinking. Because if a lot of players on the team aren't going to get signed by next year, then if you get a rental player, it's fine. But you can't be giving up players like, Nylander for a player that you're gonna have for one season or a top prospect for the same yeah well that actually combines with the next thing which was that he's open to trading a prospect so if if he's considering trading a top prospect he listed Robertson Amarov um who else Robertson Amarov Liljegren yeah Sandin and draft picks that we have in the first and second round he basically listed them off and said that he's open to trading one of them. Now, if that's for a rental player, I don't know about you, but that doesn't really make sense. It doesn't really make sense to me. And if he did do that, it would have to be a it would have to be a massive return. Like they would have to be getting someone back that's a perfect fit and someone that's pretty much guaranteed to have some sort of impact like it's not questionable it's not doubtful you know that the guy that you're getting is going to do you know big things and he's going to be a huge impact and by right fit I'm thinking of someone that's a younger player like Matthews or Marner maybe not 
maybe not the same skill level, but someone that's young like them where they still have they still have a lot of term left on their contract. So not someone that's like an older guy like Spezza or Thornton because I, I don't really think we need more of that. And, you know, given that he, he specifically listed these prospects that he was interested in in trading for someone why like why do you think he did that don't you find it like like I feel like he was making almost like making jabs at other teams saying I mean he made a comment saying that it takes two to make a trade and basically saying that the Leafs are ready and they had all their offers lined up and they're just waiting for someone to step up I'm almost I'm almost asking like why do you think he did he decided to do that and like publicly say even though it might be known amongst like Leafs fans and media and all that that he is willing to um trade certain pieces why do you think he felt that he specifically needed to say it now it gives those players something to prove that that they'll step up their playing and make it because obviously players would want to stay on a team that has a big chance of winning the cup so they have to step up and start playing so that they can show that they're like in the NHL yeah, I think I think he was trying to just show he was serious and I feel like he was been getting a lot of no's from a lot of teams and he was trying to just show that he's serious by publicly saying like look, I'm I'm preparing to give these people up if there's if there's a right fit and if there's the perfect return coming back, almost making other teams look stupid in a sense, you know, when people look and say, you know, the Leafs would have given you Robertson, for example, who's a highly rated prospect, and, you know, the media and the media is going to say, why wouldn't you accept something like that? So now I feel like he's trying to make other teams look, look stupid almost in the face of media because they're denying pieces like this. I mean, we don't know what he's asking for in return, so he might be asking for too much, but regardless, I think he was just trying to make a point there. Now, on the topic of being open to a rental player and open to trading a prospect. He said that a lot of these trade conversations involving these prospects have been mainly for forwards. What I got from him was that he is very confident in our defense and in our goalies. And a lot of his concern was pretty much only for forwards. Right now, we have a lot of forward depth. If you get another forward, then... Kerfoot or Engvall is going to have to sit, or even Ilya Mikhaev might have to sit, and they're good players, and they work hard during the game, so it just seems like a stupid thing to have to move them out, but yeah. if, if they trade a guy, uh, if they trade a forward, and they get a better forward, then obviously... Yeah, if they trade it forward and get a better forward, then that would make sense. I just, I don't know where he sees that he can be more confident in our in our defense than in our forwards because I think it's definitely the exact opposite. I don't know if there's something we're not seeing, if there's something yeah. that goes on behind closed doors. Yeah, but it's not like you can get a very good defenseman because there's not a lot of cap space that they have. So would you rather make a small adjustment to the defense that probably won't make an impact and you'd have to trade a forward away or would you make a difference in the forwards and you don't lose any of your forward depth I yeah I think the way the way he's going I'd rather them change uh, a forward but I was just I was just weirded out because he said that he thinks that defense is not a concern and that forwards are that just seemed really strange to me that he picked that out i i feel like everyone else that it seems pretty obvious that it's our defense that has been struggling and we don't have a lot of defensive depth sandin and Liljegren are the two that we have back there and other than them two there's not very much that we yeah but he's he's not nhl ready yet so i don't know i just thought it was weird that he said that defense is okay but if this is the case and he is looking for a forward, it could mean, like you said, that he's possibly going to trade a top D prospect. So say he trades Sandin for a Stupid. forward. What? Stupid. Yeah, so that's that's what I'm saying. Like if he wants to get a forward, that's fine, go ahead. But if you're not going to get 
someone in return that's a long-term young player perfect fit like a similar in age to Matthews and Marner and has has skill and term a lot of term left on his contract if that's what you're not getting in return giving up a defensive prospect which we know we're going to need soon because we don't have a lot of defensive depth that is just not worth it and I don't agree with it and also Riley's coming up next season so god forbid they're not able to sign Riley and they drop someone like Sandin that is gonna pose issues no yeah it would uh and then also actually there's Seattle someone is is gonna be lost to Seattle too so you're gonna lose a defender there possibly losing Riley hopefully not but they'd always be protecting no, 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 I'm saying because his contract is up, not not to Seattle because his contract is up. So anyways, there's a lot of defensive questions up in the air, basically. So it's fine that he wants to get a forward because, like you said, there's not a lot of good uh, defenders that you can get with the cap situation that we're currently in. So in conclusion, if a D were to go, it would have to be a long-term fit and a perfect fit, not a rental player. That would be very stupid. So he also commented on the Leafs' current slump, and he his argument was that a lot of teams like Tampa and Boston, Stanley Cup winning teams, go through a slump at least once a season, and that it's this is the point, what I think, is that this is the point where you can actually see how strong your team is based on the response. So yeah, they were just in a slump, didn't look too great at all, but it's in how they respond. So looking at the game that we just had on Saturday, do you see a positive response coming? Um, everyone makes a big deal when the Leafs go through slumps or when they lose big games, but Tampa lost 6-3 to Detroit the other night, which is they were the last place team last year, and in my opinion, Ottawa's better than them, and the Leafs didn't lose that bad to Ottawa. But when something happens to the Leafs, everyone makes a bigger deal of what it is than what it actually is so I think obviously it wasn't a good stretch of games but um, the game Saturday looked like they had a bit more energy it could have been because of they got Campbell back so Mm -hmm. they wanted to prove yeah that's what I was thinking because they got Campbell back they got Simmons back and then Galchenyuk made his debut so it's almost like is it fair to say that because they got all these pieces back there are positive days ahead i hope <laughs> i can see a positive response coming after those last days after dropping six and seven games and then also what happens over the next week or so is going to determine what dubis is going to do next So there's the two options. Either they get out of the rut and he would just be looking for a rental player to bolster the roster. Or if they keep playing this way, then he's going to have to look for more long-term pieces to give a more serious push. Because at that point, it's going to be a need to have that extra forward, not a want. So over these next couple weeks, especially because we're playing the Oilers and the Jets, it's going to be... It's going to be interesting because Dubas may possibly have to shift his strategy on the fly. And then another thing to note too is that he has to do something soon because if he waits until the trade deadline and he gets a player from the States, they, after quarantine and everything, they would only be with the team for approximately six games before the playoffs. Yeah. Like, is it okay if he were to wait and end up getting a player from the States after all at the trade deadline? Or if he thinks he is going to need a player from the States, should he be doing that now? I'd say do it now to get the chemistry between the players up. But I think the NHL might... Reduce? Yeah, reduce it for... for Players? I think if it's an impact player that they're looking for, which I think Dubas made it clear that it obviously is... You would want them to play more than six games so that they can become accustomed to the culture and, like you said, the chemistry and the playing style and actually be effective for the playoffs. Because you have a guy stepping in six games before the playoffs, it's not very likely that he's going to be able to actually have any sort of impact because it looks like those six games are going to be really, really important if 
the standings stay how they are now where there's not very much room to lose a game. So overall, what I got from him is that he's advertising something big, but we are going to have to see what happens. All right, well, that pretty much wraps it up for this segment of Take a Break from Tone. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Emilio once again, backed by popular demand. Thank you for having me a special guest. (laughs) Expect him to be back on another episode in the near future. Coming up next, I will be talking about the player of the week and the main takeaways, so stay tuned. All right, I am back. It is just me now. I hope you enjoyed that take a break from Tone with Emilio. Now I want to go over player of the week and main takeaways. In terms of player of the week, it was kind of hard to come up with one because, I mean, this week wasn't very eventful and there was no one that really stood out. So I went with Jack Campbell. He recorded a shutout, second consecutive shutout on Saturday. He was coming off an injury. He put up a great performance, saving 31 shots. And in response to this Leafs recent slump, this was a huge help in making sure that we got that first goal and just built off of that. Every time, I mean, not only this past week, but every time he has gone in net for the Leafs, he has impressed us. He's done great for us. He's performed well. He's had four games played, four goals against, 0.965 save percentage, Goals against average is even at one. Both of those stats, goals against and save percentage, the highest among all Leaf goaltenders. There can be an argument made that Campbell is able to perform that way when called upon because he is not a starting goalie, meaning he doesn't have to play multiple games in a week. He's called upon when there's back-to-backs or whatever the case is. He's called upon every once in a while, so he's not as worn out as a starting goalie would be. There's an argument to be made there, and that's fine, but he looks promising, and he looks like he would be, maybe he's not ready yet to be a starting goaltender because he hasn't played that many games for us, but based on how he has played for us, there is definitely some promise for him in the future of his career. So he is my player of the week. Now, that actually leads perfectly into my main takeaways. There's quite a few this week. The first one is the goalie controversy. We visited this at the beginning of the season, the goalie battle between Freddie and Campbell. So is this a case of potentially having a new starter for the time being, or is it just a case of the backup pushing the starting goalie to play better? We're not going to know until the game on Thursday against the Sens, but with an important stretch coming up with the Oilers and the Jets, both close to us in the standings now, the discussion has to be made. Who are you going to trust to play for us? Because these are massive, massive, massive games that are coming up and they need to be won by the Leafs. Maybe after Campbell's game on Saturday, Freddie will see that he has to step up. So Keith might go with Freddie because he feels that, you know, he kind of got that push now. But maybe Keith will decide to go with Campbell because of Campbell's performance on Saturday and also because Campbell will be getting a lot of rest, so he's not going to have to play after one day of rest like Freddie normally plays. Especially, also, you have to consider the last game that we played against the Sens. It did not go well. Yes, Hutchinson started in net, but Anderson also let in those, those two goals as well. And now we're playing the Sens on Thursday. Maybe Campbell's the better first option. Because maybe if we win that game on Thursday, it'll start off the week strong and maybe we'll just be able to build off of that and move forward in a positive way rather than losing that first game and kind of having that looming over them for the rest of the week. Also, you have to consider that if Freddie does not get the chance to play and if he is used as a backup in the coming games, which I don't think would happen anyway, But if it does, he might not get the chance to actually improve and get back to normal. We we do have a lot of important games coming up, like I said, against Edmonton and Winnipeg. It's super, super important that Freddie gets back to normal or we might actually start to see things shifting. I don't know how long Keefe would wait until they make that shift. I don't know at what point he would consider it to be crucial enough to have to make that change. I, I don't know what I would do. I mean... I love Freddie. He hasn't been playing great. 
and especially coming off rest you never know what kind of leaf team is going to step onto the ice so it might be a little bit more risky to put freddie in for that first game against ottawa so i i don't know i don't know what's going to happen with that there's definitely a goalie battle now but hopefully again there's that competition and hopefully it pushes freddie to be better because he's had hutch as a backup so he hasn't really had that competition that campbell is able to bring him so hopefully we see we see an improvement there second takeaway alex galchenyuk made his debut i was completely wrong literally just last week i was saying that we most likely will not see galchenyuk because he's not needed well little did i know we would be going through a slump and jimmy vc would be claimed off of waivers and our cushion would be gone so here we are and Galchenyuk makes his debut and does amazing, pretty much. Being put on that second line right away, I said earlier, it was a little concerning at first, but he actually did really well with Nylander and Tavares there, and the three of them do work well together. It was only for two games at first, so we didn't really... No pattern has really evolved for us to mark him, I guess. But just based off of those two games, he did do really well. He, he seemed to know what he was doing he was noticeable in a good way and you can tell that what they did for him by giving him time with the marlies and working with the staff that it actually benefited him because he did not look like he was missing anything he fit right in with the playing style you know there are little things that he did little passes that he did with nylander and Tavares that highlighted the fact that he studied how to play with them and he knew their playing style and he knew how to play with them right away on that second line and that is amazing i'm really excited to see what he does and he also actually got his first point uh he got an assist in this game and i believe if he keeps it up he will probably stay in the lineup moving into the playoffs obviously depending on if dubas makes a trade and and who they get if they do make a trade he galchenyuk would be the guy to go uh, definitely before Engvall, Mikhaev, or Kerfoot. But if there's no major trade that is made, then Galchenyuk would be in the lineup for the playoffs. And I think he would definitely be in the taxi squad because you would want to call on him to jump into a game rather than call on Sabrin to jump into a game. That's kind of how I look at it. Moving on, third takeaway is Wayne Simmons, his role and his presence on this team. He made his return on Friday. I love Simmons, and he's not just a skilled and helpful player on the ice. He is a huge, huge presence on the lineup. We already talked about his reaction to Hyman's goal on the bench and how excited and how loud and how pumped up he was. You can tell that he was really missed, you know, especially over the last few games and with their slump where someone with that energy might have helped in the locker room and on the bench and could have possibly turned around a couple games just because of his attitude and his personality. And side note, he was also able to really keep up with Matthews and Marner as well and help those two out a bit. So not just his energy and and positivity on the bench and in the locker room as a guy, but his, his skill and his ability to play hockey was actually on display in those last couple games with Matthews and Marner. But also, even before he was injured, we knew that he was capable of doing that. Next takeaway, speaking of Mitch Marner and basically what he has to start doing more of and what he has to start doing less of. He's got to shoot more and he's got to play around with it less. Like I mentioned earlier, normally he is able to make those nice and skillful plays and those passes with no trouble and they often end up turning into actual good quality chances. Recently, though, he's been bobbling the puck and just losing it. He's been falling. He's been passing. Normally, he can pass through guys' legs. He's been passing at guys' skates. He's been losing the puck at the blue line, which rarely happens for him on a normal day. We know he has a good and simple shot, and he should just stick to it because it's good and it's effective. And just do it at least just until him and Matthew start to pick it up again. They've kind of fallen out of sync, so when they start to sync back up, go back to your skill and your and your fancy passes and and all of that and show off until then just just keep it simple and do what you know you can do which is just shoot the puck speaking of matthews actually leafs are in a recent slump we know i've talked about it a lot in this episode 
But why did this happen? There's two slumps currently going on, one with the Leafs and one with Matthews as an individual. The Leafs slump I mentioned already and how, you know, we should have expected it. It was going to come sooner or later. Maybe not to this degree, but somewhat we should have seen something like it coming. They, They came off a really strong trip with the Oilers and for every high there are going to be lows and they were soaring high up there and the higher you go the harder you fall that's the saying and so this is where we are now we hit our low and now it's time for them to bounce back the next two weeks are going to be super important like I said we're playing the Jets and the Oilers those are going to be must-win games so now Keith has to come in and he's got to make some changes and He has already started doing it with the lineups and juggling them around between games. And even mid-game, he's been making changes. So we know he's not afraid to do that. And that's good to see, especially going into a stretch like this. We know that he will make changes if he has to. Especially also getting back Simmons and Galchenyuk and Campbell. I think we should be able to get get out of this rut. And if Saturday was any indication... I think we are okay, we are in good hands, and I can see them picking up, especially getting that rest after a game like Saturday. It should really make them return pumped up. Now for Matthews, he has not scored in four games. The last time he scored was against the Jets on March 11th. Before then, he wasn't really doing a lot either. Ever since he came back from those few games off, because of his wrist, he hasn't really been able to do anything for the team. And again, with the extra rest, hopefully he can get it back to normal. Like I said, we saw him shooting a lot more on Friday and Saturday, although they were pretty weak shots and he clearly needs he needs more work and more practice, which is understandable because it was a wrist injury and he hadn't been shooting for a while. So hopefully he's able to get in that practice and get back. Even on the power play and 5-on-5, he's been hitting a lot of posts. He's been hitting players' legs, not getting the shot off that he wants. And then we saw his frustration with him breaking his stick. So I don't think it'll take him long to get back to normal because, like I said, of who he is. So it's it's weird that it happened, that he had, that he's going through a rut like this and that he hasn't scored uh, in so many games and he hasn't really been as impactful as he has been in the past but I guess similar to teams they have their highs and lows players have their highs and lows as well so moving on speaking of the power play actually it needs a lot of work a lot of work hopefully with Simmons back on the first unit and Matthews now slowly resuming to his normal spot on the power play it's gonna pick up I hope Also considering, again, all of the rest, they can try and get some practice in, especially with Simmons back now. They have four power play goals and 25 power play chances over the month of March, which is 16%. That's not good. That obviously needs to be improved, especially considering the amount of talent that they have on the first line, uh, sorry, on the first unit alone. And that first unit is the one that hasn't even been able to enter the zone cleanly half the time it's been the second unit that has dominated the power play pretty much recently and that is very concerning and again hopefully with all these pieces starting to come back together it's gonna start to shape things up and bring things back to normal so next takeaway i have which i mentioned with emilio in the take a break from tone segment is that dubis was considering trading a top prospect for a rental player Now, he didn't specifically say this, but he did say that he was open to signing a rental player or whatever, which goes against what he normally looks for, which are long-term players with terms left on their contract. So it goes against that. So he did say that, and then he said he was open to trading a top prospect. Put two and two together, pretty much he's saying that if the right piece presents itself, he's willing to give up whatever it is, whether it giving up sorry whatever it is willing up willing to give up a prospect regardless of if it's a rental player or a long-term player that's coming back in return again like I said two things to consider you have to consider if it's a rental player or versus long term and you also have to consider if it's a forward or a d prospect that's going the other way and that's coming to us actually if it's a rental player definitely do not think a top prospect is worth it having someone for a year basically for the remainder of the season, 
not going to have the impact that you need. I mean, having someone for a couple months isn't really going to be as much of an impact if they know they're just going to be out the door the next month. It would have to be a massive return and it would have to be a perfect fit that's pretty much guaranteed to have some sort of impact. Like I said before, perfect fit being a young guy like Matthews or Marner with a decent amount of time left on his contract. The reason why I am also against him getting a rental player is pretty much because the whole point of going through this rebuild, getting Matthews, getting Marner, getting Tavares, all of the, getting all these pieces, Simmons, all these pieces together, the whole point of that was to create a Stanley Cup era team, not a single winning year. How is getting a rental player going to help your team turn into a Stanley Cup winning team and into an an entire era winning Stanley Cups in in an entire era not just one year and then fall off the map again you you want to create a a Stanley Cup winning era of the Toronto Maple Leafs that's what you want to create getting that rental player is going to do nothing then when you go into next season and the cap's still stuck you're going to have to end up looking for another rental player again giving up god knows what If he has to give up a top prospect now for a rental player, he's just going to have to do the same thing over again next season. Whereas if he is able to find some sort of way to fit a long-term player under the cap and we're able to keep them for a couple years, I would say yes to that in a heartbeat in exchange for a top prospect. Because then you know that guy's going to be with you. And if he does actually have an impact... He's going to continue having an impact and continue contributing and making this a Stanley Cup era winning team, not just one year. Now looking at if it's a forward versus a defender, we already talked about this. I mean, trading a top D prospect for a forward, I'm not too thrilled about that because our defense, we're going to be losing one, probably Dermot to Seattle. Riley, hopefully we're able to sign him after next year. We, you get rid of Sandin, we have no D left. We have very little D left. So trading that top D prospect, like getting rid of Sandin, I don't know if it's worth getting a forward when we have so much forward depth already right now. And we've had a lot of forward success this season and scoring goals and everything. So I don't know. I mean, I don't think we're not going to be able to get a defender that's actually going to be able to do something right now, which I've come to terms with. I just don't really like giving up a D and getting a forward, giving up something that we go, that we're going to need, that we know we're going to need in the coming seasons, and getting something in return that we technically already have. If you're giving up, I was gonna say if you're giving up a forward prospect for a forward, then okay. But then I think about them getting rid of Robertson, and I'm just like, why would you do that? Because he looks like he's gonna have so much promise and I don't know it all depends what comes back and it just has to be a perfect fit it can't be someone that you doubt even for a second that they're gonna have an impact there can be no doubt it has to be a perfect fit and it has to be long term okay so last two takeaways one go back to being simple they've been having a lot of trouble with their play a lot the team as a whole Even the insanely skilled guys like Matthews and Marner have been having trouble and they've been losing the puck a lot more. They've been hitting the post. They've been hitting guys' skates, guys' legs. They normally can make those nice passes to one another, but it has not been working and they have been out of sync. Matthews and Marner have been out of sync, but the whole team has been out of sync these last few games. So that's okay. It just means that you have to go back to basics and you have to rebuild that foundation and get back in sync. And then you can go back to the skill and the fancy passes and the risky plays. But you have to rebuild the foundation instead of just trying to push something that is not working. It's definitely not worth risking a giveaway or a breakaway in the other direction if we know that the Leafs can be just as equally successful by making simple passes and simple plays and simple shots on net. You know, take Spezza or Hyman, for example. Their play is literally defined by simplicity and it works super well for them. They just need to work on getting the puck in deep and making a play similar to the playing style of the third line. That's kind of what I think of when I think of playing simple. They just throw the puck in there and they go after it. So last takeaway is physicality still, still increasing. 
you know, it's been on an incline, but there's a major piece missing. And that major piece that is missing is the inability they have to stick up for the other players on their team. It's happened with Freddy, where they failed to defend him when he's run over. And it's happened with other players, most recently with Matthews. He was run at quite a bit on Saturday because we took a run at their best guys on Friday. But we were not able to do what Calgary did. Calgary stepped up, and they stepped up by hitting Matthews. We were not able to cover Matthews. No one on the team was able to just take a number and go out on the next shift and make a hit and have a fight. That needs to be fixed because the guys on this team are so close together, and I know they're not the toughest of players. We don't have tough guys really on our team, but you don't need to be tough to be able to stick up for another player and make a point and say, you can't push my guys around or I'm going to push you around. So they got to start sticking up for one another more often. I know they can. It's just they, you know, and they don't even need to be tough to do it. They just got to make a point, throw a hit and just take whatever blowback comes at you. You know, even if you lose, even if you get into a fight and you lose the fight, so what? You still stick up for your player at the end of the day. So those are all my takeaways from this week. There's a lot of, a lot of patience that is going to be required of us over the next week, especially with all this rest. And the rest was the highlight of my takeaways, essentially. I mean, fixing the power play, fixing uh, the slump, fixing Matthews, going back to being simple, Mitch Marner trying to improve his play, Wayne Simmons implementing himself back, sewing himself back into the roster, and making sure his presence has some sort of effect. All of these things, and the goalie controversy, and Alex Galchenyuk, all of these things require patience because we're not going to be able to see them for almost a week's time. Who knows what kind of team is going to show up on next Thursday, on Thursday, sorry. Until then, all of these things are going to go unanswered until we see them play on Thursday And I hope that this rest that we are talking about so much pays off. It has paid off for them in the past. So I hope that all of this rest that we keep talking about actually does pay off for them, especially after getting all these pieces back, Campbell, Simmons, and then Galchenyuk with his debut, especially after getting all these guys back. Let's just hope that, you know, the rest allows them to perfectly get back into sync and start up, fired up again on Thursday. Speaking of that, quiet week this week. So game on Thursday against the Sens and then Saturday against the Oilers. Both are crucial games. We're going to have to try and lift our cushion back up, especially again playing against the Oilers and Jets later on who are right on our tail. So that is all for me this week. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of That Hockey Chick. As always, you have any questions, comments, concerns, or feedback, you can reach out to me on my Instagram at that hockey chick and until next week take it easy least fans do not stress out let's hope this is a good week of rest and a successful week of play at the end of the week and until next week go Leafs go once again my name is Antonia Mendelia and I'm that hockey chick <laughs>